You are listening to Primal Radio, the podcast dedicated to combat sports, martial arts, self-defense, and the warrior mindset. And here are your hosts from Hamilton, New Jersey, Jim McCann, and London, England, Tom McGrath. Primal Radio, January 24th, 2018. Guys, how are you today? You can talk anytime, Tom Milano. I'd like to let ladies go first. Uh-huh, right? I'm ready to roll. Right, right. Hey, man, <laughs> a couple you. things. Well, last week was a great show with Andy Jansen. He did a great... I went back and listened to it a couple of times. He's a pretty fascinating guy. And I started to implement some of his his things. I wanted to get every, kick everyone out of school and start over. You know? <laughs> because of, <laughs> cause of yeah, people yeah. who weren't living up to my expectations, you know. I gave him the I gave him that lecture. You know, they're staring at you. And we're, so Monday night in class, right after, right after Andy was on the uh, on the show, and then we were doing uh, we we're doing uh, it doesn't matter some combative stuff. And you know, right away, you always have that one guy in class who's got his own fucking agenda. So I, you know, yeah. he does this move twice, whatever the heck it was, you know, and then right away he's delving into shit that he could never possibly do on any planet in the universe. So then I didn't yell or anything. I just kind of sat there and kind of just get guys. I just want you to do this nice and slow. Don't deviate from the exercise. This is there's a reason why I want you to do it this way, you know. Yeah. And uh, then the guy comes up to me and goes, "Oh, you were talking to me." And I go, oh, "You're so observant, you know. Yeah, I was <laughs> fucking talking to you. You're the one changing the drill the whole time. Very frustrating. And it ha- look, it happens in every you, class. I'm going to give you an alternative perspective on that. One, All right. right? just to make you think in a slightly different way so you know that book you recommended to me the sports gene which yeah. sort of talks genetics and yeah. practice so um they were talking about kids playing soccer and one of the distinguishing factors of the kids that do really well is they question their coaches right this was no question this was he's him just being an idiot <laughs> So no, I had nothing to do with that. I understand. Of course, you have to question. There was. It was like, all right, Tom, let's do this. You know, finger point. You know, poke him in the eye. Boink. And then some. Then before. Then he's doing a tumble salt and a heel kick, and then poking him in the eye. You know, it was just complete nonsense. It didn't matter. But anyway, and then actually, I ran Alana through that as well this week, which it was pretty simple. I tried not to get stabbed in the face or hit in the face yeah. with a stick. But but anyway, but hey, the what happened was the big news this past weekend. We had our event, our big boxing yeah. event, and you see that Scrap one is, regained his title. Still retain, hung over from, from, right, it, from It was a great show. So we had, I bet you, every bit of, you know, 450, 500 people in the gym. Our gym's big. It's 10,000 square feet. It's a gigantic place. So uh, after our show on Thursday, I, was, I pretty much spent three 20-hour days working nonstop, getting everything ready on, she's Friday before the fight, I had taken a truck, emptied absolutely every piece of equipment out of that gym, and then set up 500 chairs, did whatever, soups to nuts, and then uh, the event happens, and then total chaos with the event. I don't know if you've dealt much with amateur boxers over there, but completely dysfunctional. Got that all together, and then after the show, put everything back into the gym. So I was exhausted. I actually <laughs> napped on Sunday for like two hours. Woke up drool on my face. It never happens. I woke up like I was hungover. Like what the what the fuck was I drinking? <laughs> but that was I was like woo. I, it was and it was a good. It was a great event. Uh, my fighters did really well. I'm very proud of everyone, and I want to thank everybody for their support. Our sponsors, who uh, uh, were a big part of the show, and for our next event, 
Oh, Alana, you were at the show. Yes, it was fantastic. <laughs> I'm I hardly still talked recovering. to you, but you're still recovering. So you, oh, yeah. So you liked From it? From the after party, yes. So what'd you think? Oh, I thought it was... First of all, I want to ask how many people were on the crew for um, for you to put everything together and then dissemble it. One. That's what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was it was fantastic. I think it that was me. The the your announcer was better than the announcer was good. Uh, oh, he was great. He was great. Right. I've never heard the national anthem. Most awkward song ever sung so well by like how old was she? She was thirteen. Yes, thirteen. Yeah. Yes, it was. It was. It was great. It was no, great. It, it was. Uh, it, it was good. Yeah, the um, I had fun, and then you know, t- tons of cleanup. Holy smokes, people are slobs. And got, look, I've you know, a couple urinals in there. I, I don't know if they're peeing in the urinals or just peeing on the floor. So, <laughs> so I was doing lots of mopping. You know, everything, every toilet. I mean, it's uh, I don't know. There's a trash can there. It's not tough to throw paper in, but all that other stuff. But at the end of the day, it was a great show. There's just a lot of work, a lot of stuff behind the, the scenes. And, and I know our, our, our guest coming up has kind of done tournaments and stuff, so I'm sure he knows uh, exactly what I'm talking about. But uh, anyway, our next event will be coming up April 28th, and that'll be uh, Primal MMA Fight Night 1. Um, we are currently booking fighters for the show. So you go on to primalfightpromotions.com. You can get a hold of me at 844-77-FIGHT. Uh, look it up at uh, me up at a primal gym nj.com so we're currently booking fighters so uh, and talent for that show so uh hit us up real soon because that's going to fill up real good real fast we have um a new cage coming to the place and uh a lot of a lot of interest so i think we're going to fill a nice void in, in the town but anyway enough about my world <laughs> um tom did you come up with an introduction for our our special guest or shall i uh, no, but it's probably reasonably easy to do. So um, this this gentleman, um, he showed me around uh, Phoenix. Or sorry, I'll say Arizona, Prescott, Arizona um, last summer. I've, I've mentioned him before on the show. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, he's one of the stars and the biggest names around in uh, the world of catch wrestling. Oh, yeah. Catch wrestling, for those that don't know, is a British martial art, which obviously is amazing. Um, he sh- showed us around. He's a fantastic coach. Uh, a host we did loads of shooting we did um yeah. uh, uh, some sort of uh, quad biking and stuff like that and that was all fantastic and uh, he's a really talented martial artist with loads of great stories so um i'm proud to welcome to the show john potenza john welcome buddy welcome thank you thank you thank yeah, you, you live up to that introduction man <laughs> yeah that, that really hyped me up pretty good man i don't know if i can follow this i might want to cut this into you but yeah <laughs> <laughs> Right, right. Well, I've, I've known John for a lot of years. He's a he's a Jersey boy, and he moved out to Arizona. Um, were, were you were you born like in central, right in uh, English Town that area? Or? No, no, I'm a Brooklyn boy. Oh, you're I'm, I'm from Brooklyn. Brooklyn. Oh, okay. Well, Jersey's yeah. practically Brooklyn, isn't it? Yeah, it's like Brooklyn South. Because you know? <laughs> <laughs> right. back in the day, no one in New York wanted to move out to Jersey. They thought it was like hell. It's- yeah, you know, all my friends gave me shit about it. When I moved out, all my friends, I, I grew up, I lived in Brooklyn, and I grew up in Staten Island, New York, and when I told my my buddies back home that I was going to move to Jersey, they were like, man, you can't move to Jersey, what are you doing? And right. as soon as I moved out, about six months later, they started following suit, hey, man, we're going to start looking at Jersey, that's really nice out there. <laughs> <laughs> right, that's so funny. Hey, you still catch hell for moving to New Jersey and the West Coast, I have right. to tell you. They, seriously, why are you doing this? Why are you married? Armpit <laughs> of the nation. What are you doing? Yeah, why? Do, why? You do get a bad rap. I don't, why, why is Jersey called the armpit of the nation? I don't know. But when you fly into Jersey and you land in Newark 
Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of industrial stuff. That it does press. tend to smell and look really nasty and all concrete. I get it. But if you go outside yeah. that area, there's a lot of pretty cool stuff out there. It's a, it's a lot of country, a lot of beach. So, yeah. look, I, I'm yep. doing a life sentence here. I didn't get out. How did you <laughs> – what did you decide to leave Jersey? I remember years ago when you, you owned Mar- Modern Martial Arts, where you did. Are you still part of Modern Martial Arts? I don't even know. Yes. yes okay, so you're yep. still part owner of that or whatever, that, however that works out. A really nice established uh, catch wrestling and, Jim did a bunch of different stuff there, real, real top-notch gym. And, and jo- oh, geez, maybe it had to be seven or eight years ago. I remember you talking to me about maybe going to Arizona. But that must have been in your head for a long time, huh? Yeah, it's been in my head for a while. Um, you know, going back and forth through it, thinking about different, different things, different options. And I think a major part of bringing me out here to Arizona, well, one is the freedom. I absolutely love the freedom. I'm, you know, I love being able to take my guns out and go shoot and ride my motorcycles and quads and dirt bikes and all that stuff. Right. And, uh, Which you cannot yeah, do that, in New Jersey, by the way. Yeah, you can't do any of that in Jersey. You can't no, have like any I, fun here. Everything's really <laughs> <frowned> fun. <laughs> no fun. We put, they'll put a tax on it in Jersey. You're having fun? <laughs> 7% tax. There you go. One thing I found interesting when we were there was um, there was a gun range, and, and we drove past it, and John goes, that place, I don't know how it stays open because everyone else just goes out and shoots in the desert. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's Why so would you funny. That do it for free. It is. It's so true. I mean, you know, we have these, these gun ranges pop up. And nobody belongs to them because it, you go out and shoot for free anywhere. You know, you go out to the, to the desert, in the woods, or wherever else, and you set up whatever targets you want. You go shooting and you have a blast. You know. <laughs> so, so you can. So literally, you can just. Draw, I, I'm. This is foreign to me. You can just pull over on the side of the road in some desert with what's it, a government property or something, or. And you can just go out and shoot some cactus or something. Oh, same in Southern California. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You, you go to trouble. You trouble shooting cactus out here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no. Believe it or not. Oh, you, you can't shoot cactus. No, isn't it the national? No. Isn't it your state plant? The, the cigar cactus is like takes forever to grow, and it's like super tall and super protected. So mm-hmm. I guess back in the day, people used to shoot them up all the time. But they take like hundreds of years to grow, so they they get in big trouble for shooting the cactuses. Oh, but you can pull up road any dirt road and uh, you go down into any public you know state land and you can you know bring targets and all kinds of stuff really? people shoot up wow that's so you know because <laughs> yeah here i'm having because we have a new governor in new jersey um another shithole shithead and uh and this guy is already like tightening the, the screws on a bunch of stuff that's going on here so who knows where the i mean i don't know it's a never-ending problem here but anyway so more so john you've been doing because the show's about mars arts about what you what you you've done You've been doing martial arts, I guess, your whole life for the most part, right? I mean, you started when you were a yeah. little kid, and, you, and, and you've done a ton of stuff. Wait, 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 wait. Martial arts. I thought this was origami and self-improvement. No, no. You've lied to me arts. again. <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Okay, I'll get Okay, go ahead. So when did you start, John? I started martial arts. My official start was in 1981. That's when I enrolled in my first martial arts school. Before that, I was actually starting, you know, just training in my basement. I Making up shit. I a couple shit. of martial arts yeah. books. Yeah, I'd practice some stuff on the heavy bag and whatnot. But, right. uh, yeah, 1981 was my first. I, I started up martial arts, got in my first class, and uh, I started out in Taekwondo. Right. I think like most people in the world did, right? Right, <laughs> and then, right. Uh, about a year, year or so down the road after that, I started mixing it up a little bit, and I started getting exposed to different arts, and I, I ventured out. And over the last 30-some-odd years, it's been 30, 36, 37 years I'm training martial arts. I've right. I've expanded throughout a lot of different areas of you know weapons and judo and kung fu and karate and uh, grappling, catch wrestling, combat submission wrestling and yeah. shit. I've got 
all kinds of stuff, combatives, and you name it, I've done it. <laughs> yeah, it's a nice, like you know, you have a nice mix, a nice healthy mix of a little bit of everything, I, I, and uh, yeah. it makes you a better martial artist, I think. You're diving instead yeah. of being a one-hit wonder uh, sure. on, on one thing or another. Now, would you now you are what I guess I I I'm assuming this is probably what you're best known for uh, is being the co-founder of Snake Pit uh, USA and training with Billy, and you're one of what seven guys in the world who. Got f- head coach from Billy, is that right? That's correct, yep. Uh, yeah, was, there was only seven of us that made assistant coach under Billy Robinson, and it was a huge, huge honor to be able to be one of those seven. Yeah. And uh, it was just amazing. Billy was one of, the, one of the most incredible coaches I've ever seen in my life. Uh-huh. I mean, even in later years when he could barely move, he was so detail-oriented and he so perf- perfection. It was no, no ifs, ands, or buts. It was demanding perfection, and that was it. Nothing else was acceptable, so... I'm really blessed to have, to have gotten to train with him and, uh, and and learn from him. You know, just I wish I had more time with him. You know, right? <laughs> I mean, I, I knew Billy but when Billy first was kind of brought to my knowledge uh, early on with scientific wrestling with uh, Jake Shannon, and then I I had always I guess they were weren't they doing originally those camps in like Utah or something like that? You would go out there. Yep, yeah. yep, that's right. They started out in Utah and then they would right. do a couple in California and stuff like that, and then. Uh, I went out to a bunch of those, and I, I trained with Jake and Billy. Those, and that's you know, they, they had a really good thing going. It was you know, weekend long training seminars and right. get some. Work. I mean, it was really cool. So, what would you of, you would go out there for for those two days and just nonstop grappling for two days? Yep, yep, pretty much. And then uh, yeah, after that, I started bringing Billy out to my gym, and I have him out for you know, I remember weekend seminars, do private lessons with him, and train as much as I can, and just pick his brain over and over again. Even after seminars, we'd go out, you know, grab some food and a couple of beers and. Yeah. Just sit down and pick brain for hours, you know, just, you know, he'd, he'd love to tell stories and talk about technique and different stuff. And it was yeah. amazing. Yeah, really cool to talk to. Did you realize his brilliance right away or were you just, you know, when you train with a guy at that level and then and has that knowledge when you're sitting there talking with him, do you sit down and go, God damn, this is I can't believe I'm actually learning this or hanging out with this guy and picking his brain. Absolutely. It was absolutely. It was, it was surreal. I felt like a little kid. And as soon as he would open his mouth and start to talk, I was like a little kid on the edge of my seat. I couldn't wait to hear what the next story <laughs> was going to be. The next thing he was going to say, I was like, man, this yeah. is amazing. This guy got just stories for days and so much detail and technique and right. history. Amazing. Yeah. He keep you on the edge of the seat. I was starstruck every time I talked to him. <laughs> <laughs> what? You know, now how did you like when you guys, cause it, or obviously you had all this other background, but this really what kind of caught your, uh, your, your passion, I'm assuming. Uh, how did you, mm-hmm. were you, did you start out thinking that you wanted to build something early on in your training with Billy as far as like the, the snake pit, the association? Or did, were you a fastidious note taker? Did you, how did you compile this? Walk me through that whole thing. So, yeah, it was really kind of a, a compilation of all that stuff. I, I started training with him. I'm, I'm uh, obsessive compulsive when it comes to taking notes. So anytime I train with somebody, yeah. I take a ton and I'm just a, one of those guys that have notebooks and notebooks and notebooks. Can you decipher them when you go back? Because I have no idea what I wrote. So, yeah. <laughs> like, so, what, who, who the fuck? Who's the Chinese guy who wrote in my notebook? Yeah. <laughs> it looks like hieroglyphics. Yeah. Like hieroglyphics what the notes. fuck does this symbol mean? <laughs> a lot of stick figures and shit like that. But, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. Most, I can decipher most of it. Some of it I got to look back and like, I kind of guess and figure it out. Trying to guess, but, right. uh, Yeah. But uh, yeah, when I you know, put all that together, and I, I've been a catch wrestler from the beginning. I my yeah. my style of grappling has always been combat submission wrestling. Right, and catch Eric Paulson, brilliant stuff. Yep, 
So it's always been my passion from the go. And, and as I started really progressing through it and getting into it, I really wanted to do something and kind of formulate something where it was a little more structured because catch has always been a little more loosely, loosely structured, you know, it was a, a more conceptual and, and not a whole lot of structure to the whole system. There wasn't so that, that was right. a vision and goal. So uh, me and Joel got together, Joel Bain got together yep. and we worked on it. We put snake pit USA together. I've since I've left snake pit yep. since then, but I'm still, still very good friends with Joel. I'm still very good friends with all my snake pit brothers and sisters and yep. uh, still love all of them. Just doing my own thing. Now I have old school grappling catch. Right. That's right. How, is that, is this a whole new association you're starting or. Yeah, yeah, it's a whole new thing, and it, it's the same it, same concept. It's just uh, it's preserving Billy Robinson's lineage. You know, I want to keep everything in line, keep it all in check, and we keep everything true to old school catch wrestling. And uh, now, do you have a website yeah. for that? You want to let people know about it? I do. Yeah, we're on, on Facebook. We're old school uh, old school grappling catch wrestling association, yeah. and uh, our website is oldschoolgrappling.com. We have a street new new and improved streamlined website coming out hopefully within the next few days or next oh, week. Yeah. So, are you paying uh, so some guy to do this, or are you doing this? I I planned on paying someone to do it, and I couldn't get anyone to do it for an affordable price, so I learned myself how well, to do it. Right, gonna, because I'm going to get on my soapbox here, because every one of those motherfuckers, you pay them all this goddamn money to put these websites together, they fall short of the glory of God, and they drive me <laughs> crazy. And, oh, well, we'll do this for you and this for you, and they never do it. You're right. Do it yourself. Fuck them all. All right, that's, that's all it. I wanted to say. Don't hold back. <laughs> Don't hold back. <laughs> that's how you really feel. John, go <laughs> For people who are unfamiliar with catch wrestling, um, could you sort of characterize it for, for them? And what was how is it different to other martial arts, particularly other ground fighting styles? Yeah, absolutely. It, it's funny because catch catch wrestling has been around since forever. It's been around since the beginning of you know grappling, and uh, it's not a very well known sport these no. days because it had gone from true Olympic wrestling and you know true professional wrestling before fake wrestling, and then it kind of got all kind of mixed up into pro what we see as pro wrestling today. So uh, it kind of got kind of lost in the shuffle a bit. But catch wrestling is basically all takedowns, all submissions, plus pins. So it changes the game a lot. We have a wrestling pin, which, you know, if you're on your back and your shoulder blades are flat, you get your, your pin, you're done. That's right. it, the match is over. A lot of catch matches are best two out of three matches, which is really cool. So sometimes you might mess up in a match and, uh, you know, you might get caught early. In a catch wrestling match, you'll have the best two out of three, which is good. So that's kind of gives you an opportunity to come back from a, a mistake you made or whatever. Right. But catch wrestling, it's a great art. It's a lot of fast moving, high paced action, and uh, it's cool that all submissions are in. You can you know work the upper body and lower body. Right. A lot of leg locks ground upon, and a lot of arts. So it's kind of cool. We have a pretty much open canvas. Why do you the, think? The, oh, sorry. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. No, um, I was just wondering. Why do you think that? Catch wrestling is actually less popular in the UK, where yes, Tom, as as Tom noted, it originated and even has roots back to apparently 650 BC in Ireland, as one of its, uh, you know, yeah, folk it, wrestling it, things. It, it kind of it seems to have fell by the wayside. I don't know why it it dropped out, especially back where its homeland is from. Right. Uh, but I know you know I know over here. And when it got turned into pro wrestling, which we see as today is like wrestling entertainment, you know, it lost all its its credibility. People were saying, well, you know, these guys aren't real wrestlers. They're entertainers. They're taking dives and yeah. you know, fixing shows and all that. And it kind of really put a hurt on it. But the true catch wrestlers who stayed, you know, active as true catch wrestlers, very devastating guys. There were the carnival guys that would they take on all comers at, at the carnies and stuff. And 
they'd wrestle guys, whoever showed up, you know, 145 pound guys to take on all covers and beat them all. Um, the, the little tasters that I've had of, of catch wrestling, which have been obviously with you in Arizona and um, with uh, Dieter, who we had on as a guest recently, um, over in Belgium, uh, typically, there's there's a lot of sort of dirty tricks. And, and, and to be honest, that's what I've, I was drawn to when I was training, doing that, compared to, say, Brazilian jiu-jitsu, which I, I was, I, people kept saying, you can't do this and you can't do that. And I was a bit like, but I want to do those things. <laughs> right? It's funny you say that because I love that. People people say it all the time. Oh, catch guys are a little dirty. Oh, it's not dirty by our rules. It's, it's By right. our rules, it's perfect. Yeah, we can do what we want. We can know? do whatever we but, want. But a lot of stuff that kind of hits that gray area, some of the rough cross faces, and we call them ripped, rubbing-induced pain when you're digging knuckles into places and stuff. And it does get frowned upon in a lot of other grappling circles. But, it, you know, by catch rules, it's it's perfectly legal. You yeah. know, it's, I'm not a great ground fighter, um, but I, I have to do some ground fighting as part of the other systems. I do the FMA stuff um, and occasionally in, in the sort of JKD combatives world. And a, the majority of my submissions, because I'm not particularly talented, will be from <laughs> doing cross-face, driving my elbow in someone's jaw. That's fun. Something like that, rather than, you know, doing a perfect figure four because, because mm-hmm. you know, those opportunities don't come to me. Um, and that's right. what I really like. And I think that's where I'll, I'll, I'll borrow stuff from your system. So do you think... Yeah, and I agree. I think I think catch is an excellent uh, combative system. For for combatives, you know, you got to fight mean. You got to fight dirty. You got to fight rough. And, you know, catch wrestling is perfect for that. The aggressive takedowns with top control, constantly digging and making the other person uncomfortable, make them carry your weight. That stuff works great for, for combative type training. So how do you think the catch wrestling um, kind of morphed into pro wrestling? Money, money, uh, money is yeah. the root of all evil. We'll talk later. Right. I agree. <laughs> so, so they just it's... did it because what? I mean, it's just, I, I get the money. I mean, I have an, I have a pretty good idea of why well, that happened. Did you want to walk? Did you have a take on it? Did yeah. Billy have an idea about that, or is it because yeah. of the history? Oh, sorry, sorry. Go ahead. Okay. That's right. Yeah, a lot of a lot of the old time wrestlers, you know, they were they were wrestling to make money. They do side bets in their in their pro wrestling career, official catch wrestling careers they would they would make side bets during matches and they'd try to make money to feed their families and stuff and right. uh you know you're you're struggling iron worker that's wrestling to make extra money to feed your family and some guy tells you hey i'm gonna double your salary if you let this guy beat you tomorrow people start thinking about that and say well uh, i might do that you know and then before you know it it starts snowballing and people say all right well it's gonna be a fixed outcome we'll, we'll pay you even more if you let this guy beat you this way and then you know things could they kind of snowball from there and before you know it it turns into Right. The circus that we have now. Do you think that? <laughs> do you think that it's because um, catch wrestling was such a feature and so tied to the kind of carnival circuit, um, just both in the UK and here, that makes it that that kind of made that transition to pro wrestling almost intuitive, not necessarily a good or bad way, but maybe it, that could have had something to do with it. I mean, mm-hmm. there are two two basic styles of catch, and you have the carny style, which are those guys who work specifically or majority of their careers work as carnival wrestlers. And then you have the guys who are, who are amateur and pro wrestlers who would work more of a tournament circuit. So there are two different directions from it. Mm-hmm. But again, it all comes back to money. And a lot of the, a lot of them would just, you know, get corrupt just due to get, making some extra cash. Sure. Do you think that do you pro- like things like WWF and stuff like just out of interest? Do you like that stuff or, or is it, 
it's not really my thing. I mean, I, I, I appreciate it. Those guys are athletes. There's no question about it. They, and a lot of them do have some traditional catch background, which is really cool. Uh, so you'll see in, in WWE and WWF, whatever it is, they'll, they'll be real moves. Sometimes they just use them as show holds, which is a show hold is a, is a real submission that's just put on loosely. So it's not hurting anybody. So yeah. I respect those guys a lot. I think they're, they're amazing athletes. I don't really follow it a whole lot, but it's, it's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a fan. I did enjoy the Mickey Rourke film, but Jim, you're a fan. You love all that shit, right? What were you gonna ask? Well, I, I was just, I was just gonna say, actually, there's, there's kind of a, in the mainstream, uh, there's kind of a, such a bad, such a bad association between pro wrestling and performance, and performance art. You know that that a lot of the questions that I get from people who, you know, who are saying, "What are you doing? Why are you doing that?" What? No, I, you know. And um, then look at me like I have three heads. Mm-hmm. Um, they often say, well, you know, pro wrestling, that's not, you know, wrestling isn't real. None of the wrestling is real, right? And then they say, MMA, that's not real, right? That's like <laughs> wrestling, right? I'm just letting you know that people who... Who aren't in our little circle, in our little world, in our little pond. Well, they're in their own little circle, in a little right, pond, right. let me tell you, and it's not a pleasant one. But anyway, yeah. go Yeah, sure, please. Sure. It's- this stuff's taken you all around the world, right? Um, yeah. I've had to, uh, when we were having a beer, you know, in Prescott, I got some really interesting stories there. But um, how many countries have you visited, visited sort of, you know, teaching martial arts and um, coaching? Uh, just a handful. I've been been to uh, Canada, uh, Japan, the Philippines, uh, Dubai, which was really Wow, that was way out there. That was probably the furthest I've gone. That was out to Dubai. It was kind of cool. Um, so, yeah, I've, I've traveled around a bit. and I've got some some other international stuff coming up on the rise, uh, hopefully okay. this year. You, 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 there was three stories that kind of um, leapt, leapt out in the, in those countries. So I thought you'd been to, like, hundreds. But anyway, um, <laughs> so, so you went out to Dubai to coach an MMA team because some of the sheikhs over there um, – had a fascination with with kind of UFC etc. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about that story? Yeah, it was amazing. They uh, the, the fight was on a I think it was a Tuesday night. Uh, I think it was a Tuesday night because the the only day these guys it was like the seven main sheiks out there that were putting the show together. And the only it, to them it was like a poker night. You're like <laughs> they put this like major show together. It's a huge like major event. Uh, flew in fighters from all over the world. They had fighters coming from everywhere. And to put on this MMA event, and they, uh, yeah, they, they just put the show together on, on for free, like they they spectated for free. It was live stream free and all that stuff. And they flew us all in and paid the fighters, paid our hotels and food and all that stuff. And and they just put this whole deal together just because they wanted to watch some fights. And it was amazing, but it's a fun. great show, really great show. And uh, it was a lot of high level guys in there, big names, and it was a good time. We we, we went out there and uh, didn't know what to expect, but it. It was pretty neat, man. It was a cool place. And we stayed in Dubai, but we went over to Abu Dhabi and mm-hmm. did a little bit of the sightseeing and stuff. Cool place. And this was like their sort of, I guess, royalty arrange, arranging it. And it, was it well attended? Did they have a real love yeah. for it up there? Yeah, it was very well attended. It, it was, yeah, it was there. All their higher ups, very, you know, all the, all the big, big dogs putting the show together. And uh, it was a, a packed crowd. It was a lot of energy, a lot of, it was a huge production. Yeah. Really cool show. Well, they got a lot of fu money, you know, so they'll spend it on all these stuff. Yeah, for these guys yep. to center with the grappling, and it, it's amazing the amount of money these guys have to spend on this. But it's a good place no to doubt. be, right? It's it's nuts. I've been to some of those things, and you're going, "Oh my god, I can't believe!" It. There's no way they're making money on these things, but it doesn't matter. 
like it would, right, yeah, matter. Like it would it matter fun. for right, like it would matter for us, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> I, I got a question, John. So your gym in New Jersey was Modern Martial Arts, which is probably yeah. you know, like there are other gyms named Modern. Now, for those who don't know the name of your gym, and I think it is a brilliant name, by the way. If I wasn't if I wasn't Primal Gym, I'd be the name of your gym. <laughs> I love it. Uh, you want to just tell, tell the name of uh, John's gym is Average Joe's MMA, and I think that is brilliant. And you got that from Dodgeball. Dodgeball, <laughs> Dodgeball arguably the yeah. greatest movie ever made. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. Oh, that was great. That what did you when you were watching the movie? Did you just go fuck? I can use that name. You know what? It, it's funny. I I've for years I've I've trained fighters for. Most of my career, I always yeah. trained, you know, modern martial arts. The full name of that gym was Modern Martial Arts Fight Club. We were we were a fight gym. We had, yeah. you know, it still is a fight gym. We have a ton of guys who fight out of there. We get, you know, 20 some odd title belt holders out of that gym and all kinds nice. of, it's, it's been you know. But all my career, I always said, you know, I, I absolutely love training fighters. But I also love training the average Joe. Right. And I always said it. And I'm sitting down one day watching dodgeball and it uh, fucking hits nice. me. It's an average Joe's. That's amazing. It is. It is, it, it is. It's right. The light bulb goes off, boing, and you're, God damn, yeah, exactly. it's a brilliant exactly. name. Oh, I love it. That's it's, brilliant. It's, so, yeah, I thought it was kind of cool. It you is. Know, a little less intimidating for the average Joe to right. walk in and come and train. But we still have, you know, pro fighters and, you know, amateur fighters and everybody else. Uh-huh. And we have a handful of average Joes that come to train just to, to have fun. Right. Well, the average Joes are the ones who pay the bills to keep you open. Training fighters. Absolutely. Right. So you've been training fighters for a long time at pretty high level. And it, yeah. it and it is a thankless job, that does not pay, it is. that does not pay that much, <laughs> you know. Absolutely right, so, right. Yeah. So, if I had a salary, I'd be broke. Right, <laughs> <laughs> right. So all the t- so you have this party, you bring them. So a kid comes. So I'm a kid who comes into your gym. Here's a question I get: uh, How long is it, John? Uh, I've always wanted to train MMA. How long before I can have a fight? <laughs> yeah, I get that all the time too, right. man. All the time. And, but, you know, and I tell everybody, it, it depends on you. It depends on what you do. You come in and, you know, if you come in and you're, you're that guy who comes in late and leaves early and doesn't spar, you're never going to fight, ever. Never. You know, if you're the first guy on the mat and the last guy to leave and trying to get extra rounds whenever you can, right. then you get in there. You know, it all, it all comes down to the work the guys are willing to put in. You know, everybody wants to go put put the work in until it's actually time to put the work in. Right. <laughs> uh, right. Very well true. said. Well yeah. said. Yeah, some of the guys that come in and, I get that question. I met just the other day, and I said, "Well, like same answer you pretty much have is that it's entirely up to you." Some people never. Some people it could be three months. Some people years. It's that time, mm-hmm. and I, you know, not to sound like an old man, but I would be to the gym early. I would stay late when the class was over. I would grab the mop in the broom, yep. take out the trash. That world doesn't seem to exist that much anymore. Maybe it's how I perpetuated it at my gym. I don't know. It's pretty much I'm doing the cleaning up. Um, I just. Uh, so, and a lack of dedication. That, but so when you're training these fighters, you know, <clears throat> in the boot camp, and you're doing what? You're doing everything for them, John. Yeah, pretty much. Yep. So yeah, we work on our, work on everything. Everything from you know trying to organize the fights and get them sponsors and everything else. And we're you know obviously working the striking, the grappling, the takedowns, right. and mm-hmm. conditioning and all. Right. Put a whole whole fight together, whole fight uh, fight camp together. I got a guy coming out next week. Actually, I'll be on the East Coast next week. I'll be oh. in uh, Rhode Island. We got a oh, guy wow, fighting yeah. uh, pros. He'll be fighting in CES and be on live live on Access TV. Kevin Barbarena. Yeah. He's uh, Brian Bam Bam Barbarena's brother from the UFC. Oh yeah, sure. Uh, so yeah, he'll be out fighting in uh, 
in, in Rhode Island next week. So that would be pretty exciting. Now, do you have other coaches involved? Now, when you're training a fighter, is it just you? Do you have other coaches who are assisting you with that? Are you like the head coach? Or how does that work? Well, how does that dynamic work? Yeah, out here, it's just me. And I, ah, I like it better ah, that way. Ah, you do. I've, I've, done it, I've done it both ways. I've had, I've had other coaches work with us, and sometimes it works great, and sometimes it doesn't. You know, sometimes guys have different outlooks and different thoughts Ooh. on things. Right. You know, you, you, um, you know, you know the deal, Jimmy. It's sometimes you get conflicting opinions from coaches. You you telling your fighter to do one thing, and the other guy's saying do something totally different, and your your fighter gets all fucked up and doesn't. Right. You know. Well, how do you? <laughs> so when, that, when that happened, how'd you handle that? What was that? When that when that happened, how would you handle that? I sit down with three of us. So if when we have conflicting coaches, I say, listen, we got a game plan together here. You know, this is what the game plan for the fight, and we strategize and. We need to straighten this out and, and be on the same page because it's important. You you can't be in the corner telling the guy to stand and bang and the other guy saying shoot your takedown and you right. know, fighters you know what do I do you know yeah so, so yeah I try to get the coaches together when when we did deal with multiple coaches I try to get us all together and kind of mm-hmm. sit down and organize better but out here it's I, it's it's a lot easier this way you know I, I give my my coaching and uh, you know it's a lot less less confusing there's nothing to yeah. nothing to contradict what's going on. Right. So one of the things that we do, because we have multiple coaches at the gym, and I, how I've been very fortunate to have real good, talented guys at the gym, and we all are, are essentially on the, on, the same, on the same page. So we'll all work with them and then just kind of masterfully bring it together um, without even really discussing much. I, you, you know, Casey, you work on this. Ron, you work on this. Dave, you do this. Right, work this one. We'll discuss it. I'm going to work on this with him today. What do you think of that? And we just kind of size it up, and it's very organic and very natural. I'm very fortunate. When we go to the corner, we're in the ring. One of the issues that happens, which I've seen at fights, is there's three coaches in the corner, two coaches, whatever it might be, and they're all yelling, you said different directions, shoot and, you know, shoot and take him down. The other guy saying stand and bang. What we do is only one guy's allowed to talk in the corner. Uh, right. right. So when we're sitting at uh, the side yelling out, everyone's yelling out something different because everyone sees something different. We just tell them to do this. Tell them this. When that head coach, whoever that might be at that fight, goes into that into the cage or into the ring, only one guy's talking because it does lessen that confusion uh, right away, and it works really well for us. Uh, quite honestly, right. uh, we've been very successful that way. So uh, I've just been fortunate to have been blessed to have some real terrific coaches with me. And and, and uh, to your point, I've had in the past. Uh, where fighters have come into the gym and they'll come to me for something and they go to so-and-so for something else and they don't really have a head coach and they're all over. And last week, uh, Andy Jansen uh, called them uh, martial art tourist, uh, but not quite that in this perspective. But how do you how do you direct that guy? Someone has to be Captain Steubing and direct you know, the love boat there. You know, Not everyone can make those decisions. So we position it that. You know, there's a head coach who's overseeing everything and everyone else has their input, but ultimately that head coach uh, makes that decision. But you have gotten rid of all that now, so you don't need any of that. Yeah, which is a little bit easier. A little bit easier, (laughs) right? Because it can can be a real pain in the ass. And what also people don't see is all the other behind-the-scenes stuff. You know, John, you're going what? You're getting him the fights, right? You're managing them, blah, 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 paperwork, right? Which, what, takes hours and hours of your time. Sure. You know, to yep. no avail. <laughs> and yep. it's not much fun. But, yeah, right, and then you were saying to Average Joe's, going back to swinging that around to Average Joe's, is when you train people, the average guy or girl who comes in, who does not want to be a fighter, but wants to train like a fighter, I guess you you do that, right? You provide them that service. Yep. 
Absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. We, you know, we put them through it as, as if they're going to be a fighter. Right. And, you know, they work out the same detailed technique, the same, you know, we demand perfection and, and the best we can get out of them and mm-hmm. give them the push, you know, and, uh, and usually it, it's funny. We get someone, they don't, never knew they wanted to be a fighter until it, later on. They, I got a girl fighting this, uh, this Saturday. Really? She came in trained just to get in shape and learn some self-defense not too long ago. And this Saturday she's stepping in the ring. She didn't know she wanted to be a fighter until she started training. <laughs> and now yeah. she loves it. Now she loves it. That's funny. Well, that, that does happen. People come in and then all of a sudden they, uh, Decide months later that they, they want to fight. There's also, by the way, I bet you have those people who probably could fight but don't seem to have that burning desire to do that. Right. Right? You know. Yeah. Do you ever try to encourage them to fight? Say, hey, you, you or do you just say, ah, you could fight, you know, if you wanted to? I do. I don't push anybody to fight. I don't, you know, I don't want to push any, someone where they're not comfortable. But if I do see the potential in somebody, I'll give them a heads up and say, hey, listen, you know, if you wanted to fight, you can be really good at this, you know, and and usually they'll wind up kind of leaning that direction and start mm-hmm. working their way into maybe a grappling tournament or something first, right. maybe a kickboxing match, and then work their way up to MMA. And uh, you know, those those guys or girls usually turn out really well. They do, they do, right? Because they're, they're they tend to be more humble and 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 laid back and, and maybe more uh, coachable than others, you know. Yeah, you're right. And and one of the things I've done is I've never. I think you have to really want to fight. It has to be in your heart and in your soul to get in that cage yeah. or that ring or get on that mat or whatever that is because, you you know, that person is trying to fuck you up across that place no matter how nice it is. So <laughs> you better be 100% prepared. So what do you do when someone comes in and and they're training for a fight and they're, they're not putting that effort in? Usually I'll, I'll cut them. If you're, if you're coming in and you're coming in to show you tell me you want to fight and you're going to sign up for a fight, and you come in and you're not putting the work in, I'll cut them from the fight. I'll pull them. Uh, you know, oh, I won't really? let somebody in our gym in my name if they're only half-assing their, their training. You know, they, if they're not putting 100% in, I won't let them fight. And you just have that, you just yank them. Do you have that discussion? Do you, do you try to head it off at the pass early on, or is it? Yeah. Yeah, it's something I, I'll, I use, most of the guys know in the gym know that that's the way it's going to go. If you're going to train for a fight, you got to train for a fight. You know, if, if, if you're half-assing it, we're going to either – not let you fight, or if you do fight on your own, you're going to fight in, in, under an independent name. Under an independent, yeah. Well, was, was this something that um, that kind of arose from experience, like you know, you had several people who didn't prepare enough, et cetera, or did do you just know, you know, to uh, give them a heads up yeah. just organically? Over the over the course of the years, I mean, I've, I've had my 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 gym open for almost 17 years, right. almost almost eight years long now. time. And, it's a long time, you know, so I've had some people come through that didn't put enough work in and they're kind of on that cusp of borderline and they go out and put on a shitty performance and you say, you know what, that guy didn't train hard enough and I'm not going to let that happen again. And then, <clears throat> then you start looking out for your guys too. You know, when I see my guys training, I'm, I tell them, this is for real. You know, you're going to go out there, you're going to fight. You're going to get your ass kicked if you don't put the work in. You know, I don't, not only do I, I want to protect our team and our gym name, but I don't want you to go out there and get smashed up because you didn't put in the right preparation for the fight. So usually they understand that and they get it and they uh, either step up their training or hold off on fighting for a while till they're ready to put the work in. So, so you're saying that when, when people um, don't really give it their all and basically they, they half-ass their way to defeat, so to speak, um, they're not oh, just okay. taking themselves down, but they're, they're, there are larger implications for the name, the gym, everything. Is that yeah. do I understand? Absolutely. 
<clears throat> Absolutely right. Because anytime a fighter goes out, they're not just representing themselves. They're representing their, themselves. They're representing their team, their yeah. coach, their gym. You know, they're, they're bringing everybody with you. Fighting is a one-on-one sport, but it's a team that gets you there. It is. You know, it's all the team has to be there for you, and you got to be there for the team. I'm a big believer in that, and uh, I push that team atmosphere. I think it's it's really important that everybody helps each other, supports each other, and looks out for each other as part of the team to get them into that fight and be ready for it. Well, yeah, I'll, I'll, oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say, I, I, I totally agree with that. And, and, you know, I think people do think of it as, like, two individuals, and ultimately, um, when it comes down to it, that is where it is at, at in the ring. But it's the journey that's important and the journey, the journey where you're training, you know, you spend five minutes in that per round or whatever in that, in the octagon. But, um, for months you would have been training as a team and that's where the social side of martial arts is at. You know, I, I, I kind of consider it a team sport in that way. Well, actually, so I, I don't know if you agree with this or not, but I almost feel that because it's so there's so much of the individual kind of ag on the individual contest that it comes down to between two people that the team sport aspect of it is almost more important and kind of more foundational than it is in obvious team sports like baseball or football or whatever, what have you. Hey, definitely. Just because we don't wear numbers on our back doesn't make us less of a team. You know what I mean? Seems People like think more. That you have on your back of your jersey to be a team, right. but you know, it's it's a team sport, one hundred percent. You know, it everybody is. has to be there. Right. When you're there and you're coach, whoever it is, you know, you're um, coaching that fighter to compete. You're asking your other students to be a part of that, right? At the various levels and talents that they bring to the table. You know, hey, can you let's you know get in Shark Tank, John? You know, let's get in here working, like help condition this guy, do whatever it might be. It's very much a team sport. It's very everybody's very much invested in that. Although, although the final performances that one athlete, those weeks, months, years prior to that, was very much a team effort uh, on everybody's part. So absolutely, and there is that camaraderie. And we do try to push that at our gym as well because it builds a bigger. Uh, bigger picture for everyone as it, opposed it to just shows, coming right? it shows it does, it does as opposed no. to people doing their own thing you know it's uh mm-hmm. it is a big deal it is a big deal so when you're now uh did you have something Milana, or you? no go ahead. Oh, um let's talk about your old school grappling association so you were obviously you created snake pit usa and uh at, with uh joel bain and you have since left snake pit snake pit still exists and you've gone on your own and you're doing your old school grappling catch wrestling association. How does that differ from snake pit? Is it more you versus what was a combination of Billy's stuff? Is it a hybrid? Is this more of who you truly are? Yeah, I think it's just more of my, just my own flavor of catch wrestling, you know, right. more of my lineage, my, my exposure to it. And, uh, I try to preserve, you know, the old school ways as much as I possibly can. Right. And, and, uh, really just keep, doing things my own, the way that I was taught and the way I like to do it. And, uh, and you know, Snake Pit's doing the same thing. And it's, sure. you know, it's not, it's not a rival, not rivalry no, by, no. Any, by any means. Sure. It just, uh, you know, it was very tough for me and Joel to run Snake Pit together with me living on the West Coast, him on the East Coast. It was kind of two different directions. But, um, but yeah, we're still in the same, we're, we're, we're running side by side. You know, we're running parallel. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're both preserving Billy's uh, lineage. We're both doing what we can to support catch wrestling. And I try to support every every catch wrestling organization out there. I you know, I want to grow the, the sport as a whole, not just promote, you know, our brand of right. a, an association. You know, it's just it's all about trying to get catch back where it's supposed to be. Catch wrestling is is a 
an amazing, amazing art. It really is. And people just look at it sometimes as, as this brutal kind of super aggressive style of just wrestling. Yeah. But it's it's an art. It's got its yeah. own. It's a whole style. It it's is. a system. Well, well you know, I actually came across a kind of curiosity from 1907 um, written in, um, in an Irish uh, newspaper that had been around since 1880s, whatever. And it's basically the um, the author of it is pleading with Ireland to resurrect. I mean, granted, this is collar and elbow wrestling, but you know that that also contributed to catch, of course. And um, so, anyway, it's it's saying that basically Ireland is becoming weak and infirm because they're not um, recognizing this um, this fantastic. It, I think he says most scientific and picturesque style of wrestling. <laughs> no, I'm serious. Yeah. And and then um and, and the the and it's the manly art. Um and so it anyway, uh, and after after describing it a bit and kind of educating the audience in this in this article, this newspaper article, once again, March 1907. Mm-hmm. And then and then kind of says, "Well, hey, it's going to America." And says that it's the That's duty funny. of Kildaran men whatsoever their lots be cast, I'm quoting this, to take the initiative in resuscitating and cultivating this incomparable style of wrestling. And then says that it was actually the, quote, only style of wrestling known in America. That's funny. So, yeah. So, so you know, that, that bid for, for kind of, of, of the um, value, of, value of a school of wrestling has been a passion. And usually when I see something happening over decades and then years, and I mean centuries, it's kind of important. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, you know, it, it's not just some kind of niche thing. No, no. That... that um. After I trained with John, obviously I had had an interest in catch, and I, I tried to do a bit of research and try and you know yeah. see if I could do some training in Have London. And and the kind of the, the, the best place to do it was Wigan, which is about five or six hours drive from London up in the north of England. Yeah. Uh, which which was the guy you recommended, John. But it it, it hasn't got the um, it's just not as big as it is in America, which is a real shame. Because there really aren't a lot of mar- it's not like Japan. There aren't a lot of martial arts stuff here. Um, so yeah. Anyway. Well, you know, I, you actually uh, the the 1907 article does have a suggestion, by the way, that I think that you're embodying. So you're on the right track here. So quote: The writer would suggest that clubs for this purpose be organized in our large towns and competent instructors engaged. If this be done, it will be but a few years until we shall again be holding tournaments which will develop champions years, yeah. <laughs> of the former years, which were the pride of, of Kildara. I'm probably mispronouncing okay. that. The Gaelic American. That's funny. It was the sign-off of the, well, uh, of the author, by the way. That's funny. So, so John, that's, how do you <laughs> say that? When you do it, because you have other influences from grappling, from obviously Paulson and shoot wrestling and all this other stuff. How do you do you... You make a distinction between the two when you're doing the pure catch, or is it you're kind of blending them? I <clears throat> yeah, I do. I, I try not to blend uh, anything outside of pure catch wrestling. Um, you know, it's hard because there's some great lines, there's some great areas, of course, with any. Oh, no doubt. Different wrestling arts together, it's, there's always some great areas. But I try my best to to research everything back. I have a very extensive library of, of very old uh, catch wrestling manuals and and all kinds of literature and stuff. And, I reference that stuff all the time and double check, cross check and recheck and try to keep everything as true to, to lineage as I can yeah. to make it stay, uh, you know, as pure, as pure as I can make it. Um, you know, a lot of people don't know uh, folk style wrestling that we have in our high schools and junior high schools and everything here today came from catch wrestling. Just kind of like how judo came from Japanese jujitsu. Yeah. Folk 
and folk style wrestling came from old school catch. It oh, was originally catch that. wrestling. They started taking out submissions. They they said, all right, well, we're going to take out the submissions and we'll leave just the pins and and holds. And they they came up with uh, folk, which is kind of cool. So it's kind of interesting. Uh, folk yeah. has a very similar base. Right. Yeah. Nowadays. Several. Catch. So sorry. Um. Several several times. Well, we've discussed a lot of times how there's a rivalry amongst striking arts. Well, you know, TKD. You know. Oh, that's how you do it in Muay Thai. You know, lot, lots of different um, rivalries, and we've we've talked about tourism in lots of different ways. It's really a, it's 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 kind of a fun topic. That's why we do it. But right. um, so I was just uh, I was wondering, do you do you see um, what what kinds of rivalries do you see in um, the shall we say sister grappling um, arts? Would you say probably probably the biggest thing is. Uh, as catch wrestlers, we catch we we catch a lot of shit for being mean. Um, <laughs> yeah. You're being uh, traditional. You know, yeah. It, yeah, it's not mean by my rules, so it's okay. <laughs> That's fine. So, you know, uh, but you know, we get a lot. Uh, I guess one of the biggest rivalries is you know the fact of using uh, aggressive cross faces, neck cranks, and yeah. leg locks. No doubt. Um, you know, leg locks has always been a sensitive subject for a lot of places. Although nowadays you're starting to see more and more other grappling groups adapting to leg locks and bringing them into that game and starting to, you know, accept them more, which I think is a great thing. It, you know, if, if, if you're rolling with somebody and you're, and you're grappling, if you can rip my arm off, why can't I rip your leg off? You know, it's, well, it's, it's that's no, fair. It's no, it's no, <laughs> well, I have a funny story speaking about being me. So we had, um, the other night we had, uh, this guy come into the gym and, uh, done grappling. Uh, primarily he's a Muay Thai guy and a BJJ guy. First time at our gym. And we, uh, Andy coined the phrase martial arts tourist, but I don't think he was a tourist. He is a name dropper, this guy. So he came <laughs> in and go, well, I trained with That's John nice. Potenza and I trained with uh, yeah, this guy and I trained with this guy. Oh, I know this guy. He does it. He knew more shit about people, at, at least on the top line. You know what I'm saying? But he's uh. rattling off all these names, who he's trained with, the places he's done this, that, and that. And then you're going, oh, okay. And, and right, right away, I'm kind of going, oh, you know, let's see what he, this guy's got. So um, <clears throat> he uh, he hops on the mat in, cl- in catch class last night. Was it last night? The night before. Tuesday night. Not Tuesday. Uh, what's today? Wednesday. Wednesday. Tuesday. That was last night. Um, gets on the mat. Uh, and he goes with um, he goes with one of my guys who just does catch. Uh, a guy uh, moving around. And they're working different moves. And and it's an interesting dynamic because this one individual uh, tends to be a know-it-all in catch wrestling as well from our guy. But this other guy, and there you have these two pseudo-experts on the ground discussing things. But anyway. Wait, did you pair them intentionally? Uh, well, yeah, who knows? <laughs> who knows what genius I might have paired. <laughs> but, sorry. Right. Let's continue. But, so they're, they're wrestling. And here's what happened. So my guy's wrestling this BJJ guy who's more than a beginner. Uh, that's I'll just leave it very vague like that. And they're going at it, and all of a sudden, my guy cross faces him and does a top wrist lock on him. Boom! And then, then he goes, oh, that's like a slap in the face at my jam. <laughs> was very <laughs> fucking insulted by it. You know, I wanted to get him a tissue. I um, love how they get dainty. When oh, he was. He became very, you know, oh, you can't, you can't do that. Yeah. So uh, my guy, who, like I said, it was only uh, an average uh, grappler at best but uh but he was just catching but stuff the other guy had never seen before and using some because i when i teach the cast uh, i like doing all the dirty stuff you can do with the cross faces and stuff like that and, and uh 
and it is very it's very disheartening when a guy's crossfading and driving his elbow in your ribs and doing all this stuff it makes it very difficult to do certain things and and our our boy did that the other night to this guy, but it was rather funny to see that he was insulted by it. because it's true by the way in the, and we do teach Brazilian Jiu Jitsu at the gym as well. If you go to another gym and you're to wrestle that other gym, let's say it's a BJJ school, some other kind of Jiu Jitsu school, whatever. I'm just using BJJ as a generic term. They will become immediately offended when you do this stuff, and it's, and it may cause yeah. a fight. Same thing if you go to a boxing gym and you just punch the biggest baddest guy in the face right away. You got to feel each other out and see what's going on, but. But it was yeah. funny. It was a, a testament to the catch. So. Wait, you mean I, I shouldn't go to random, Gyms random more? Ta- yeah, I, and, no. and just try to try to punch Take people. Take them out. No, nope, no, nope. bad and idea. Get the knees up. Right, Damn. bad. Okay, okay. <laughs> so, Off the list. So, John, what's so now that you're in Arizona? What are you outside of the gym? What are you doing with yourself? I'm loving life. I'm just <laughs> wow. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Despite outside, exile from New Jersey. I do a lot of outdoor stuff. I'm, I'm an outdoor person. I'm always out either hunting or fishing or hiking or uh-huh. shooting guns or riding quads or doing nice. some kind of outdoor so adventures. So this, this Brooklyn city boy became a Yahoo, huh? Yeah. How did a redneck come out of Brooklyn? Somehow. <laughs> 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 oh, man. <laughs> That's funny. Well, also, you said you were thinking about maybe doing some uh, – Kind of weekend retreats for, for you know city folk and um, oh, uh, back like parties, city actually. slickers and like a movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. Put together like yeah, weekend weekend exactly weekend retreat kind of deals for people who want to come out and experience the wild west and do some you know some manly shit. Come out and nah. shoot some guns and blow shoot. stuff up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so redneck. That's so great. That's, so Sign are you in the, are, yeah, are you in the process of making that happen or is that just still in the uh, yeah, that's that's something that's in the works right now, and nice. trying to trying to organize and get it together. And I think it'll be a lot of fun, and uh, I think a lot of people would like to come out. And, oh, no and doubt, do some of that. right? And then you could you, know, you could combine that with the the grappling and all that. You could be cool. Well, you have a name for it? As cool as Average Joe's, or is that? I do. I'm going to keep the name under wraps right oh, now. Oh, thought I'd pull it out of you. But but there's a pretty cool name attached to it. So oh, I bet there is. That you do that. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice. So uh, how long have you been out there now? Two two or three years? But about three years, yeah, about three. just about three years now. Uh-huh. Nice, nice. And you made it out of Jersey alive. That's always plus. I'm I'm stuck here for for uh, forever. Apparently, I don't get to go out. <laughs> now you had the, you had our friends, the Europeans, out there, right? Dieter, our good friend Dieter from Belgium, and Tom. Yeah. What, what'd you do? You just took these. You gave them the 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 the, uh, the tour, the the town, shoot, fight, and doing everything. As Dieter likes to call it, Dieter likes to call it. I gave him the cowboy experience. That, uh, <laughs> that's funny. Was, as long as it wasn't Brokeback Mountain experience. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 not that cowboy experience. It'd be hard to keep customers that way. Yeah, we, yeah, we took these guys out on the ATVs and the quads and nice. a, a little razor. I got the razor dune buggy, so we were out on the buggy. Really? And, uh, yeah, man, it was a blast. I had a ball with these guys. How'd so they do? Fun. I mean, were they coordinated? Were they able to do it? I'll tell you what. I started calling the European assassins. These guys, they were they were sniping shit like it was no like really? business. <laughs> uh, yeah, Cam, he was great on on the shooting. He was like a oh, proper man. sniper. I was I was quite good with the handguns and stuff. Had the training, yeah, uh, picking them off with that pistol, man. Yeah, a lot of hardware to play around with. Tom pretty much put the Mongolian grill out of business over here. We went out to a Mongolian grill for some for some uh, noodle like a noodle house kind of deal. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah there's this- your own plate. He had that thing stacked on about. Three I saw those photos. <laughs> was it like? <laughs> couldn't you go up as many times as you wanted? You had one plate. That was it. 
That's a great video because I didn't know they were filming it. And then I turn around with this massive pile of stuff. On <laughs> it was gigantic, room. Tom. I saw the photos. It was a trash can lid full. <laughs> oh, yeah. no, no embarrassment there. Huh? One, one thing, um, I'll be interested in your view on this, John, but, but the altitude when I was over there. So I, we, we did a couple of days of training and, you know, we were hitting the pads and I was gassed and I was in quite good shape at the time. I've, I've lost it all since. But, um, you know, how, how much is that benefit, benefiting your fighters? Tremendously. Tremendous. It's a huge asset because we're a mile high. So wow. the air is definitely different up here. It so is. when we go to fight sea level or you know, close to sea level, you can, it's a significant difference. So it's it's an advantage living up at this altitude. Yeah. I mean, when I first I almost died, man. My, my first week here just hiking around, I was like, oh, my God, I'm going to die. Yeah, it's a big yeah. difference. I actually fought in Denver once, you know, 25 years ago, and I was only training here, you know, so I went out there, and I was in really ripped, roaring shape. And in that first – look, I won the fight, but in the first round, all of a sudden I'm going, holy shit, I, was, I couldn't believe it, you know, I, how gassed I was right away. I'm going, I hope yeah. I can fucking make it through this thing, but – it definitely affects you. That's, so that is an advantage to your fighters, without a doubt, you know? Definitely. So, John, John Ged? Sorry, I, I was going to say, one, one other thing was, um, when we were over and we were talking about the, these various travels that you, you, you've done, um, we were talking about other martial arts. I obviously, obviously do a lot of FMA. Um, and you were saying how you've gone over to the Philippines. It's not really your thing, but you were winning tournaments um, doing the FMA. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? Yeah, that was, that was really cool. I, I absolutely love weapons. I love weapons of all kinds. And, you know, weapons fighting has always intrigued me. It's always interested me. And I did, I trained privately uh, with, a, with a, a Filipino martial art instructor for, for a long time out in, uh, when I was in Jersey. I was training with uh, John Jacobo, who was from Bakbakin, which was a very solid, super solid uh, uh, colleague group up in Lodi. And uh, <clears throat> so I, I got training with him for a while. And uh, I guess I started getting pretty good at it. So he's like, hey, man, we got this tournament coming up. Why don't you enter it? I said, I'm a, I'm a catch wrestler and I'm an MMA guy and a striker and this and that. I'm not really a weapons fighter, but I said, fuck it. I'll give it a shot. So I went and I competed, and I did really well. I wound up winning my division. Then a couple more competitions came up, and I, I won, won a bunch of those. And then I wound up winning all the locals, the regionals, the nationals. Then it was an international qualifier that came up. I wound up winning that thing and got picked for a five-man team to represent the United States Wow! to go out to, to fight in Manila in the Philippines to go fight in stick fighting. It was three divisions. I did uh, stick, knife, and longsword. And uh, out of out of 150-some-odd competitors from all over the world that had come to, to compete in this thing, I was the only one to win gold in the three different divisions uh, in that tournament. It was great because I had walked into the place and it was, it was insane, man. We're out in Makati YMCA. I'll never forget it. It was on a tennis court with just like a tin roof above the head, and uh, it was a thousand percent humidity. It was a hundred oh, yeah. degrees out, and it was crazy. There's people sitting in trees outside the, the, the tennis courts watching the fights. People all over the place watching the fights, and we get out there, we start, we get set up and get our shit together. And as I'm walking through, people are kind of eyeballing me and looking at me like, "Who's this guy? Here comes that MMA guy, you know?" And this and that. Yeah. And uh, we go into the first division, and, and the, I start fighting. I win the first division and, and I beat a couple of different guys to get to get the gold in that one. And uh, people start to take notice like, oh, shit, this guy knows what he's doing. I go into second division. I clean that division out. And they're like, who is this guy? I go to the third division. I win gold in that one. They're like, what the fuck? This is who is this guy? That's and great. for the rest of the weekend, like royalty, man, I could do no wrong. And it was just treated like just the, the greatest treatment I could possibly get. 
And it was all it was awesome. It was probably my my favorite fight out of all my different kinds of competitions I've ever done. Right. It was a it was a blast, man. Well, That's I, great. I, I, you know, I was cool gonna play. oh sorry. I was I was gonna ask you a long winded question, but instead I'm gonna ask you a short, snappy one. So um and this is actually this is for this is for all three of you. Um what do you like most about weapons fighting? It's basic, I know, but I'm just curious. I think the precision and the aggression that's needed. You need an aggressive aggressive precision to be able to uh to to execute properly, you know? There's so much more variable, you know, when you look at it from a realistic standpoint, you know, obviously we're doing tournaments with with fake weapons and whatever, but whether it's a wood knife or a wood sword or whatever it is, uh, you're still in your mind. You've got to think like, all right, if this is live, if this is a real blade, one cut ends it. You know, this, this could be a bad deal really fast. So I think the that part of it makes it so much more intriguing that there's not a whole lot of room for error. You know, mm-hmm. boxing, kickboxing, grappling, you can get punched, you can get submitted, and you kind of take it as it comes. Like, all right, I got hit really hard. That sucked. But when you're doing weapons, you're thinking about it realistically. You're like, Fuck that guy! Just cut me across the face, you know. <laughs> that was serious. That's a serious thought, you know. And right. I think that really makes it, for me anyway, it makes it really interesting. Tom, um, um, what about the, the the boxing and the kickboxing? Like, have you have you done tournaments in those and had success? And when was your last real wait, wait, job? Wait, wait, Tom, Tom, you're not getting off the hook on this one. What do you like most about weapons? <laughs> oh, sorry, right? That was, yeah, that, yeah, that yeah. Was, Jim, I haven't forgotten about you I'm either. What what Pat O'Malley says is that thing about the, you know the weapons being an extension of the hand and, and the hand being you know an extension of the weapons. It, it, it's it, it's given me a whole extra understanding of the actual empty hand stuff um, around blocking what my rear hand's doing, and you know there's stuff that you've got to be concerned about because as John said you know we are. We are typically training with training weapons that aren't going to kill you and this and the other. But, you know, you need to have that mindset of so, sometimes when you're sparring, for example, you think I'll, 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 I don't, I'll take a hit on the helmet because it's, it doesn't hurt as much as getting hit, you know, around the ribs or, or across the legs with, with the stick. And that's like totally the wrong attitude when you're sparring. You know, you, you need to have that mindset of actually th- these are the weapons that will kill me. And I just, you know, it's, it's just really good fun as well. I mean, is that, that a good answer? That's a, the yeah, best. Yeah, yeah that, that, those are excellent. Jim? Right. Wow. Jim? That's that's not good enough. I'm sorry. That's that won't my answer. suffice. No, 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 just, no, no. I will I not be pick pleased. Pick up club and bonk you no. on the head. No. <laughs> I'm a very simple man. Anyway, hey guys, we got to wrap oh, it up. Jim. We got to wrap it up. All fun. It must have come to an end. Hey John, thank you so much, buddy, for taking the time and being on the show. If you want to get a hold of John Potenza, you can find him at AverageJoe'sMMA.com. You can find him at oldschoolgrappling.com on Facebook. He's all over. Super talented guy. Well-rounded martial art. Runs a top-notch program. So if you are in Prescott, Arizona, check him out. Check out his uh, his grappling organization and uh, be a part of it. He's a, he's a top professional. John, thank you, buddy. I really appreciate your time here today. And uh, again, thanks, man. Tom, anything you want to say? Um, two things, the primal camp, um, in March, uh, getting yeah. in touch with D2K, so, uh, Jim McCann or myself, if you want to attend that. Um, and in the UK, we are hosting Dennis Blue, um, yeah. for a, uh, a seminar in July. Uh, that'll be JKD and combatives based. Um, so if you've got interest in those, uh, reach out to us, please. Alana. 
Anything? Um, no, I'm just admiring nah. the art. <laughs> hey, John, buddy, thank <laughs> you so much. Appreciate it, guys. Thank you, guys. All right, everybody, peace out. We'll see you next week. Primal Radio. You have been listening to Primal Radio in association with Primal Gym and Primal Promotions. Primal Radio is available on all good podcast venues. To help us grow, please subscribe, like it, share it, and leave us a great review.